Welcome to My Messy Lessons, the podcast. I hope this show will encourage you to know and love yourself more, inspire you to look at things differently, or maybe just say, oh, thank God, I thought I was the only one. As you join me in my journey through life, please don't take it as the truth. I might disagree with myself 10 episodes from now, so use my discoveries simply to spark your own, to learn, think, and grow in whatever direction that takes you. I have Lisa Marie with me today. She is a client of mine and we always have great conversations when I massage her and so I invited her to be on the show because she's very conscious about the way she lives. She thinks about things a lot. So I know that she'll be able to share a lesson with you guys in a way that you understand and can apply for your own life. So why don't you start a little bit by telling about yourself, whatever you want to tell about yourself and what is one of the lessons that you've learned in your life that's kind of changed the trajectory of your life or changed your life the most? Or one of the biggest or the hardest lessons that you've learned? And how did you learn it? Okay. So <laughs> thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> uh, this is definitely my first podcast. So <laughs> That's awesome. you feel the pressure. <laughs> but um, uh, so thank you. I mean, I don't know what to say here at this point. So uh, That's awesome. it's... Um, so let me tell you about myself a little bit. I was an only child growing up. We lived uh, all across Canada, uh, which was very cool. So uh, I remember a lot of times we grew up in when I grew up in Moncton, and then I remember moving across the city or the country uh, to go and living in Saskatoon. Mm-hmm. And in Saskatoon, I remember. What really stands out for me the most is uh, swimming. So that's where I started yeah. to do competitive swimming. Uh, that was fundamental. That was really kind of the unit that kind of built our family around was swimming. around my swimming. Yeah, that's what it felt like anyway. And I've heard my parents talk about that as well. And then uh, we eventually moved back to um, Leduc, which was mm-hmm. um, close to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there is when, um, I would say tragedy took a hold of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I was 17. My dad contracted cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, at that point in time, I was living with him primarily. And, uh, that's when he had passed away. And my mom had already, um, had moved out. I was quite young when she moved out, about 15, 14, 15. And she, uh, really took a different change in her life. She wanted to uh, go to university and she uh, ended up getting a master's degree and then she went on to move on to her PhD and that took her out to Buffalo, New York. So when my dad passed, I would say that would be one of the key moments in my life that changed my path of who I wanted to be and where I wanted to be because a lot of my life wrapped around him and I couldn't swim anymore after he had passed. So that was a key moment for me. Like I had gone to the, it was actually swimming with the university of Alberta swim team 
And then when he passed, I just couldn't emotionally, emotionally. Yeah. It was that connection. Cause it was yeah. growing up. That was the building block. So then after he had passed, it was very hard. So I, I remember being 18 and alone. My mom mm-hmm. wasn't there and, uh, I couldn't I function. Imagine. Like I, yeah had shut down emotionally yeah. and I was lost. Yeah. And I think that's probably the point in time where I became more alternative <laughs> and uh, wore a lot of black and had a lot of black eyeliner. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, those moments I had uh, one of my best friends um, to this day, she's my best friend. And mm-hmm. we went through that journey, my emotional journey together. She had her emotional journey and we, I had my emotional journey and we even talked about it just recently. We went to um, a Depeche Mode concert recently and <laughs> we were talking about these times and yeah. I honestly had to step back and I look back and I'm like, I almost had to, I felt like I had to apologize to her for how I was so wrapped up in my own mm-hmm. anger and pain that uh, I couldn't even see that she was hurting too. And yet she stuck with me and, she, you know, we stayed really close friends. And then at that point, I felt like I needed a big change in order to move on from that pain. So I actually ended up moving to Victoria. And uh, I moved there because I needed to get away. That was primarily the reason. But I needed to uh, almost take a reset of my life. So I moved out there. And uh, what sparked that? change like what made you decide I need to move like move on from my pain and reset it was I don't know it was just more of uh, I was in so much pain Mm -hmm. being in Alberta that I felt like I needed a distance uh, away from that pain that's that specific because whatever I was in Edmonton or Alberta and I would just see it like when you watch someone pass away it's and especially someone so close to you, that death is, uh, you know, people deal with death so differently. Some people, they go into, um, they ignore it. They want to not feel that pain. And so they just pretend like it didn't happen. Other people, it overtakes them, which I think that's where my category is, is it overtook me. Like, mm. and that was when I first started to feel depression I remember yeah. sleeping, like, I remember people would check on me because I had slept for 18 hours a few times because yeah. I was just so, didn't want to get out of bed, didn't even want to exist at that point without yeah. having him there. So That's totally understandable though. Yeah. Right? Like looking, like you were so young and you were on your own. Yeah. And like you were so close to him, like it makes sense that it would overtake you. Yes. And there was no one to direct me in any way. And no one, I guess no one wanted to, my mom wasn't there to help me through this, which I felt I, that was a lot of anger that I had built up with her. So moving as far away as possible, I think was really the the moment that took me there. And it it makes sense to me now, like when I think about all that that I was dealing with and why there, I have no idea. I don't know why Victoria, I think I had a friend that was going and I just said, okay, I'm in, let's go. And, uh, I ended up moving out there and that's when, you know, my, my emotional journey took place. Hmm. It was a place of, uh, 
And I don't know if anyone's been to Victoria. Have you been to Victoria? Once, like a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a beautiful place, but it's very isolating because you can't get off the island <coughs> without having to pay quite a bit of money to get on a ferry to get off this island. So you're very isolated in that way. Mm-hmm. But yet it's a healing place in some sense like there is it's gorgeous there absolutely gorgeous the ocean is what gravitated me I think and that's so I remember it being very difficult like I remember having to get these very minimal jobs and you know you get to live I at least had to live very minimalist and it was very difficult during that time my roommate I went through a couple roommates and then uh, finally, I was, uh, I really knew, I started to feel my direction on things. It took a while, but it, you know, after a few years, I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to university. But to do that, because I had, the way I had left in Edmonton, the U of A, I actually had to go back and get my grades back up again. So I had to prove to them that I was ready to come back. But, I mean, due to extenuating circumstances, I knew that I would be able to get back there eventually. So I wanted to see if I was ready. So I went to a college out there, Camosun College, and they were great. They were, you know, things sparked there, and I met some amazing uh, teachers, and, you know, it really kind of drove me more into the science realm, and that's kind of where I wanted to be at that point in my life. And I thought, honestly, I would. that's the direction I'm going. And then I started to reconnect back with my mom. Um, she had met somebody who at that point in time, I remember <laughs> the big laughable moment was, uh, you know, you look, looking back, but at that point I was an angry youth and she was trying to get back. And I look at the pictures of myself, the total gothic <laughs> girl. And I remember meeting this man and thinking, and I remember saying to him, like, you are not my dad. And uh, he's like, you're right. And I was like, oh, kind of thrown off guard. <laughs> and because my mom had not picked the best of people to be in her life. And then so I thought, well, this is just another one of those. And uh, that relationship took a while, too. Like, because I had to allow people back into my life again. Mm-hmm. So I built up such a barrier on it. So in Victoria, I remember once, this was my another, my second moment, was uh, I had a dream. So in my dream, I had a dream of a whale, a killer whale, actually. Mm -hmm. And in this dream, this whale was speaking to me, and it was saying things like, you need to get your life back together, and you have a purpose, and you need to go fulfill your purpose. So cool. And I was like, I woke up from this dream, and I was like, what? the heck was that like it was talking to me it was like connecting with me and I was like really here like of all these weird places of why you know why here and that dream just shifted me it completely shifted me I remember I even got a tattoo I got a tattoo of this little tiny killer whale on the back of my back going okay this thing is going to follow me like this dream was so impactful so I said okay I'm going to go back to and I, I, that's what I did. I left everything in Victoria. I had, it was me in a red car and <laughs> this little, uh, I remember it was this tiny little, 
hatchback and I had to put a U-Haul on it. <laughs> and, and, and uh, that's all I had in life, right? Was this, this little car with this little U-Haul. And I ended up moving back to Edmonton. And you drove the U-Haul all the way up and down the mountains. Oh yeah. And I remember <laughs> like there was a ton of people behind me honking and. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was pretty bad. So, <laughs> so, so there I am, you know, driving back. I ended up back in Edmonton. Um, I start back to university. I get a place and it felt right. It felt right in that moment. And then, um, that's, you know, and then my bonding towards, uh, my mom started happening, but, you know, it took, it took us a long time. So that would be my second, my third moment, I guess now, yeah. because now is my relationship with my mom. And that was so turbulent and had been all my life mm-hmm. and not even realizing how turbulent it had been with her. And, yeah. um, so my mom is a residential school survivor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the generation that, uh, you hear of. If you hear about, uh, that with First Nations, um, she's, uh, was from the Hobima Reservation, which they've now, it's now been renamed. It's now Mesquasis. Yeah. And, uh, she was, um, when you think of different people going through these type of traumas in life, uh, people deal with things very differently mm-hmm. and you can see it in her whole family. So if I can go through all of her siblings, uh, you look at her mom, her mom had like riddles of guilt to having her kids taken away, yeah. being put into uh residential school. So being run by priests and nuns, uh, mm-hmm. cause that's the time they wanted to, assimilate first nations into Canada and it ruined so many things like, uh, it ruined, uh, they tried to ruin culture. They tried to displace the rules were if you fought in the wars, you were considered a Canadian. So you lost your status. Uh, if a woman married a non-status, she was considered now non-status uh, it, they did every rule they could in the book to try to essentially erase first nations. Yes. So growing up, it was, uh, I would say when I talked to my friends in high school, they're like, you're first nations. And I'm like, yeah, I was, but maybe not identifying so much. So to it, because my parents had, I think they had kind of made a decision to kind of isolate me from it in a sense. Um, my dad was very protective mm-hmm. of having that in in the house per se. It was a, I mean, it was there, but I'm just saying it wasn't uh, as celebrated or as embraced as I would have done it, and or how I do it mm-hmm. today. Do you think that's because they were taught not to celebrate it? Like yeah. they were taught that it was something to be taken away, that it wasn't something to be proud of. Absolutely, yeah, lots of shame and guilt around it mm-hmm. for sure. So growing up with a, with someone going through the trauma that she went through. And I mean, the trauma is just, 
as real as she she's she survived it and she couldn't tell me about it but her sister could Mm. that's the that's what this type of trauma does so um in some victims they can relay it to you like very analytical this is what happened that's my aunt my aunt can go through it and say you know this is what took place they had an alcoholic father they had uh I don't want to go into the, the deep details of this, but uh, the horrors of it are just everything you think about happened to my family. So in my mom's case, she, her being the eldest, I think she had the most responsibility. At least that's what she took on. Yeah. And she had the most abuse. She yeah. had, uh, she was victimized the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, her hair was cut. To take away the culture, she wasn't allowed oh to God. speak it. She, you think of every all those things, and that was my mom. And she emotionally really stopped developing at that moment. So I would say mm-hmm. between the ages of eight or ten was yeah. when she emotionally stopped developing. Yeah. But yet my parent, my her grandmother, my my grandmother, her mother would treat her like. The second, like she had to be the mother, yeah, because she had so much disconnect too. So my mom was essentially given the responsibility of the other eight siblings, which was mm-hmm. huge. So here is an undeveloped, emotionally vulnerable person having to then raise her other siblings. Mm-hmm. She came with a lot of damage. So she spent a lot of time trying to deal with this stuff. And yet here she was trying to raise me on top of all this. So that's why I really had to probably, I'd say, a stronger connection to my father. Because my father had more of the emotional connection than she did. He was emotionally available. Yeah. But then he wasn't in some senses too. So it's interesting now as an adult looking back at what developed them and looking back as to my childhood and where, you know, where I need to focus on to really find that strength within to overcome the things that life throws at you. Mm -hmm. So really one of my big lessons or what developed me as a person would be a, would be the, with death, dealing with death at Mm -hmm. such an early age and someone so close and uh and then having to deal with that again so my mom passed away mm-hmm. uh she passed away when i was 3 months pregnant with my daughter yeah and that drove me into a second depression mm-hmm. was that same moment and that fundamentally those two together really altered my perception of life and having and then the, the third thing is your own children so bringing them into, you know, into this world and seeing, you know, what are they going to be thrown at in life and mm-hmm. how can I prepare them yet let them be who they are as kids in that moment, right? Because they, they need to experience those things. So I felt I was very lucky because I did experience those things as a kid. And it wasn't until I got into an older age that where it really, that's when I guess a lot of my trauma happened and... But yet it shaped me to who I am. So 
being focused back on what I wanted in life, how I wanted to achieve it. Those came from me because I wanted to be able to, to do those things in order for them to have a better life. Yes. So experiencing those two deaths that helped you like both times to kind of refocus on yourself and what you wanted out of life. Yes. Is that kind of what those taught you or how would you describe what the lesson that you learned from that? I would say for me, I had to go through the journey of death, pain, the pain, the pain is intense. Yes. The pain takes you in places you never realized it could take you. Mm-hmm. I had never experienced depression uh, when I, I recognized it the second time around because of my mom or from my dad, losing my dad. And then when I lost my mom, it was, it was almost like amplified, hmm. but I recognized it was happening. Mm-hmm. So I got help and I knew, I knew how to reach for help right? because I hadn't really reached for help <laughs> there. I just ran away. <laughs> I mean, essentially I packed up and I moved to Victoria and, you know, had to go emotionally develop it through those means versus this time, the next time that it happened, it was like, I recognized the symptoms. I recognized, uh, you know, I knew how I knew what to say. I didn't know what I needed, but I knew I needed something and I needed some help to get through the second round because it was, it was more intense the second time. And, uh, you know, I was, I had my children to, I mean, I was pregnant, (laughs) I was going through this, but I had my, my first there and, you know, he, he, his life, his being around him Mm -hmm. really takes you out of those moments, but you're Mm -hmm. still in those moments and you still feel those feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's even harder because you have to not only have those feelings, but you have to raise someone on top of that. So it almost feels like a, like triple layer of things. Yes. So that's how I knew I had to reach for help in that instance. Because it was overwhelming. Very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I think part of being an adult is knowing that we need help. Yes. Like, I think when we're younger, we just try to do it all ourselves or figure it all out ourselves. But when we get older, part of taking care of ourselves is knowing that we don't have all the answers. For sure. And asking. Yeah, death doesn't come with a manual. No. Birth doesn't come with a manual. I mean, yeah, there's tons of them, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, yeah. That only goes so far. It only goes so far. Yeah. You know, it doesn't teach you that, uh, I mean, for me, it doesn't teach you the, how do you emotionally, with having no sleep and no going through postpartum, how do you still then deal with the death of a parent? There's nothing. There's no book. <laughs> Dealing with a newborn alone is like enough for anybody to handle, let alone oh, yeah. any, anything on top of that. Yeah. <coughs> like that's a lot. It, it was a lot. I remember just crumbling in moments like... But yet I couldn't, like you had to hold yourself together because there was this little life (laughs) 
not only inside of me, but right there needing, needing me. Mm-hmm. And that's what pulled me out of that. But it, but it, cha- it changed me. Like it changed me as a person. For How sure. did it change you? It changed me to realize that what I needed out of life, like it changed me to not, um, not accept when you're unhappy, not Mm. accept when you're feeling like you need more and to continue to drive yourself to to be the best self you can be. Mm-hmm. I really needed going through that. I wasn't going to accept being uh, less of who I was. Yeah. That's, I think the best way to explain it. <laughs> That's an amazing lesson to learn, but yeah, it was a difficult one. Oh, it was very difficult. Hard to navigate through that, especially with challenges of, you know, being around people that didn't understand what I needed mm-hmm. and having to shift that piece of it. That was another lesson for myself. Standing up for what I wanted was a huge lesson. Um, and standing up for pe- to be up to people that wanted you to be something else. Yeah. And being, no, that's not my authentic self. I will not let that happen. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't have even had the energy to be something that you weren't. Yes. In a way, you would have been like, I I can't pretend it. Or like, I can't be something I'm not right now because being myself is the most I can be. Yeah. Like, that's it. That's all I can handle right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then it, you realize, too, like, how much you took away from yourself. Like, in those moments, you really analyze who you are as a person. Like, what makes you happy? And then you analyze what's happening to you. And how did you end up in this situation? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I can't be in this situation. If I'm going to be true to myself and true to my children and wanting them to see my true authentic self, Mm -hmm. I needed to change things at that moment. And I did. And finding your own happiness is so difficult. Sometimes it's, it's difficult to know. And it, it, it hurts people to sometimes in some situations it hurts others when you're in this mode because without me being true and true to myself I'm not a good parent I'm not a good to to anybody else so I had to be true to myself to be the best mom I could be the best well if it was going to be another person like the best partner really going into other relationships yeah I wonder why we're taught to people, please. When that is clearly not the best thing for anybody involved. Yeah, I, that's a really good <clears throat> comment. And I look back and I think, you know, when did that start? When does that start in people? And honestly, it starts at a young age. Like I, very young. I very, very young. Yeah. 
It can start at a very young age. Yes. Like, it can start with, you know, oh, you've got to hug them, or you've got to, you know, they're saying goodbye. You have to thank them for that gift, or you have to, which, you know, in some regards, you know, someone went out of their way to get you something, but you, you're taught to not show your genuineness yeah. at a very young age. Yeah. And that's actually something that's... Um, it's been a comment I've heard very often in my own life is um, I'm very blunt. Mm. And that's one of the things I love yeah. about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I had to, when I was definitely in that anger state or <laughs> in my, um, my alternative mode, you know, it came out full force. And, you know, as you age, you're kind of like, okay, maybe people don't, really don't want to hear the truth <laughs> and they really don't want to be around someone that tells them the blood truth <laughs> but yet at the same time they do like in some essence they do right so if you could learn to soften the message a little bit it actually is quite powerful for yeah. people like to to hear you know it's it's okay like you don't need to feel this way or you know you could you can take a stand for yourself. Like, there's definitely some like a way to express yourself without taking away from yourself. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. I haven't lost my parents, but I do know a few people for sure that listen to the podcast have lost their parents at a young age. Yeah. So I know that like, it'll help a lot. I hope so. Like, it's, well, it takes you to different areas of your life. It takes you to different emotional areas of your life. Yeah. And again, like, I've, what I've seen and observed in people is it either, you know, they're willing to, they can't get through that grief, and they get stuck. I have actually quite a few friends that are in that mode where it, it's it's stuck. They get stuck because they're they're still constantly talking about that moment. Yeah. And I've seen people being able to overcome, and overcoming isn't ever forgetting. It's no. it's just taking those moments and being able to say, you know what. You know, how can I live my life to the fullest? And how can I... And that's what happened to me, was how can I live my life to the fullest? A, to make them proud in a sense, but for me, just to see that, to feel that happiness again. Because you can drown in that sorrow, or you can take it, take that, and really turn it into a strength. Yes. And I could never, I would never in a million years, and someone, if you're going through it today, never in a million years would I ever tell you to, and I would say this is one of the worst things that ever happened to me, was someone had said to me, was very quite close to me, was for me to get over it. Mm. And I think that's completely the wrong thing. And that, yeah. I, I don't, now that I look at it, I forgive that person for ever saying that, because it came from an area of they didn't know. Yeah. And what you say, for me personally, is, you know, think about them 
what they brought to you in your life. You know, what can they, what can you, when you're going, kind of going through that, you kind of got to determine where they are at in that. Are they willing to share some stuff with you? And it, honestly, you just have to be there. That's what I honestly would say to most people is, you know, if you're having to deal with this with somebody else, is just be there. Yes. That's all they need. Like hold a space for them or hold love for them and just be. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things to do, to be honest, because you always want to fix yes. and you want to make it better and you want to, you know, yes. like just being there and allowing them to be in their shit is really so hard. hard. <laughs> and like, I know it's going to be really hard with Declan. Yeah. But I think that's like a huge gift that we can give our kids as with our friends and other people. Yeah. Is to let, like allow them to go through a difficult time. Yes. But, oh, I know you so hard. get in there, <laughs> but they have to go through it. Honestly, because if they are giving the empowerment of going to go through this, and some people do get stuck and some people do need the extra help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, in the very, you know, you got to let them go through these pains. Like, you know, that's why, you know, having pets is so important. That's what I think anyway, because pets allow them to go, to kind of get a glimpse into that process, into life, death. It teaches them. Yeah. That disconnect has happened, I think, as a society. We lose touch in at least in Western society, you lose touch about what death is. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up too. Yeah. Like our culture is terrible. At yeah. Anything to do with death is just terrible. Yeah. Like we don't talk about it. No. There's no like cultural traditions really that help grief. Yeah. Like a funeral is not much. Right. For the grieving process. Oh, it isn't. It's not enough. And I don't know, there's other cultures that do it way better. And I researched death for probably a year because it was, it fascinated me. It was part of my spiritual journey. Yeah. I went to chapters to the death and grieving section. I kid you not. There was like six books. Yeah. That is something literally everybody in their lifetime has to deal with. Oh, Yes. And so when you become unprepared in those moments, because yeah. it's just not talked about. Yeah. And our society on top of that is just uncomfortable with uncomfortability. Yeah. I would say, uh, going through my mom's passing, um, it, it almost brought me back to, back to my culture in a sense too, because, uh, we celebrated her death in, and we tried to keep it as much as we could inside the traditions. Uh, one of the traditions is that you're with the person for three days and three nights. Uh, they're, you're, you're talking to them because we feel the soul is still on this, on this earth, yeah. on this plane. And they are visiting all the people they need to visit during that moment. And, uh, so you're constantly talking to them and you're allowing yourself the grieving of having them go. 
And then uh, during the ceremony, it's um, you you know you give them the moccasins to walk their next journey with. Mm. You know you give them the 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 blessings, the the songs. You're constantly the singing is there. The singing again brings the transcends into the spiritual, where you're opening up the, to the ancestors. And allowing them to go on their next journey. Yeah. And, you know, they become part of the universe again. They, you know, we, and this is where I think for me, I become more into sides of the science and the traditions because growing up now with science backgrounds, you're, you think, I think the most beautiful thing I ever heard was when someone passes, they're never gone. And it's because the molecules that touch their faces that were near them are always coming back. They're always, they're bouncing off all these things and coming back to you. Mm. And you feel that. like That's so beautiful. I feel that. Like, yeah. uh, there are moments in my life where I know my ancestors have been there for me. And I would say one of the most powerful moments I had was actually during the time my mom had passed away. Um, she was in, um, she was going through cancer treatments and uh, she had some issues with her heart at that point in time. Uh, I was asleep in bed. I remember this so vividly. And before that phone rang, I had a dream, and in my dream, someone was literally whispering in my ear. They were like this close, like they were just right in my ear. I could feel their breath. And this person said, in such a clear voice, prepare yourself. And I remember shooting up out of bed, like sitting straight up. The phone rang. And this is in the middle of the night, and I picked up the phone, and it was the nurse saying that my mom had passed, and should we stop working on her? And I was like, whoa, what do you say? Like, in those moments, like, you're like, what? And she's trying to explain, like, you know, my mom had passed during the night, they're not sure when, they've been trying to resuscitate her, it's not been successful, what do I do? And it's like, yes, you, you can stop. You know, her journey's over, and she did such a good fight up until then, right? Yeah. So, but that's where I know my ancestors are there watching, and why I need to be my best self during this time, because yeah. my journey isn't over. I still have kids to yeah. raise, to feel that connection that I feel, yeah, and to pass that on to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. I love that story. Um, can I ask you another question? Yeah. So you said that you were really angry at your mom for a long time. Yeah. But then you moved into compassion. Yeah. Because you understood where she came from. Yeah. What... How did that shift happen, do you think? Like, what made that happen? I would say two things happened for me. One was I knew that uh, 
And I think you talked about this was uh, moving our relationships when we grow up in from being parent-child relationships. And as you get older, how that shifts in life. And sometimes it shifts naturally. Sometimes people don't ever lose that shift. It's always a parent-child relationship right to the end. And other times... Uh, and for myself, I needed it to shift because we had never honestly had been parent-child. I had lost that a long time ago. And I think that the moment I moved to Victoria was the moment I was angry at her. And she had not been the parent. And I had been the parent. And right. I was so mad at her. I remember just, the anger was still there. And I remember starting putting up boundaries with her because every time I talked to her, I was just angry. And because she tried to be this parent, and I'm like, what are you doing? You've never been a parent. Why are you telling me these things? Right. And that was when I had to really kind of dig into her past to find out what was driving her to, why was she not a parent? Right. And what made, and that's when, you know, I found out from my aunt about all of the atrocities that she had endured. And I was like, oh, this all makes sense now. Right. And then once I gathered those that information, it was still difficult to talk to her because she wasn't willing to look at that anymore. Mm. She wasn't, she had tried to overcome it. I mean, this is a woman who went back at the age of 50 to go get her master's and then achieved her PhD, but yet couldn't talk emotionally to her daughter about, you know, anything. Yeah. And it was, she just couldn't do it. And I had to forgive her. So that's, that's where the, the passion comes in, where, the, where I needed to say, you know, why were you incapable of doing this? And really what bridged the gap with us was my son. So when I became pregnant and she became a grandmother, a kokum, as we say. She she wanted that so badly. I just remember her being so excited, like, to meet him. And she had flown out, driven, and <laughs> just to see his little face, right? And it was in those moments that I was able to forgive her. I was able... And she looked at me differently. Yeah. Cause up until about then, that. Yeah. She looked at me very differently. Cause up until then we were just arguing all the time. Like I'd be like, why are you acting like this? You're how old now? You've got this PhD. Why are you acting like you're 12? Like, yeah. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And then it was explained to me finally. And honestly, I think John, so this is my second dad that my mom yeah. who I was telling you about earlier. How he helped us to bridge the gap because he knew that this was the atrocities that they had, they had both overcome. And he knew that this was, he was the one that really kind of triggered in for me that this is what she was not able to, she was not able to emotionally say what she wanted to say because she couldn't articulate it herself. Yeah. And she had moments. Like I remember at my wedding, she 
gave the most amazing speech. I was in tears because this was finally the words that I wanted to hear from my mother and never could, she could never say to me, which was, I'm proud of you. Because up until then, she would say to me, I'm scared of you because you're so emotionally strong. Wow. And I was like, that's the wrong message. (laughs) What would you say to kids? Yeah. (laughs) So it was, the bridging happened because of my son and it happened at the perfect moment. You've had a lot of experiences in your life. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's sometimes I'm like, I can't take anymore. <laughs> like, is this done? Like, and I was so jealous. Like in some sense, I feel jealous of watching people that never experience this stuff. And I'm like, and they never experienced the heartache or the, the pain or the emotions that go through this. And they've, they, you know, they're in their 60s and 70s and they've never lost their parents. Like, it just blows me away that yeah. that exists. I know. I almost can't relate to that. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to say that you feel like you should say that you haven't said Honestly, I think when I think about my life, I think, and I think of others that are maybe going through this or, you know, that are having struggles in this moment is to remember that you are worth fighting for mm. yourself. Yeah. You are worth the sacrifices to get yourself to that place, mm-hmm. to be able to f- fight on and to keep going. Yeah. And you are worth it at the end. And I think my being, my mantra, as it were, is I am enough. Yeah. Is another big part of that. I mean, I've come full circle. I mean, I've, I've found the things that make me happy in this moment. Like, I am, I feel so gifted and satisfied to have the ability to do the things that I love to do and my kids are seeing me thriving in that because able to go back to competitive swimming I was able to go back and doing the things that I love doing and that made me such a happy person yeah right and it's going through those motions again that it's just like this is and this is why I have so much fun when I go to, to swim meets and stuff is yeah I'm not there to compete anymore <laughs> I'm there just to be there, yeah. to enjoy that moment, to get that little tingle in your stomach yeah. before you, you know, you hear the gun go off and it's so much fun. And then to give that to my children to see is mm-hmm. that itself is, you know, that's, that's priceless. Yeah. That's, those are those moments that I just love, right? They don't need to see a stressed out mom or... <laughs> Which it does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but... But the gift of seeing your parents, an example of somebody living fully alive. Yeah. Living authentically, like you said. Yeah. That's what I wanted them to have, to see that, and to be able to have their voice, to learn to develop that voice. Mm -hmm. To say, this is what makes me comfortable, this is what makes me... The best me. Yeah, that's hugely important. 
And not to people, please. God, no. No. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I am so glad I asked you to be on my podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> it was an honor to have you on my podcast. Thank you. This is Phoebe. Thank you for listening to My Messy Lessons. If you'd like to continue this discussion, visit my Facebook group called My Messy Lessons, The Community, and ask to be accepted into it. I would love to hear about your experiences or questions on these subjects. If you like this podcast and want to get each episode as it comes out, remember to hit the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have questions, comments, or would like to access the show notes, please visit my website at www.mymessy.com. The intro and closing music is Never Back Down by Floor Broad. See you next week. And remember, we're all messy. That's what makes us beautiful. Beautiful.